Um, so the topic this morning is King Jesus. We knew a while back already that we would be preaching as interns at Ojiya Sunday. And the Lord really came and just dropped on me once. This is going to be the topic, King Jesus. And I was blown away because that was on God's heart then and it was still on His heart now. And I allowed Him any time to come and change it um, because pra- procrastination is a thing. But He never did. Um, and this was the topic and it stayed the topic. So I'm very excited. I'm very expectant. Um, please don't expect too much. <laughs> but just, yeah, may Scripture come and bring truth and may it come and change you because I can't all. So the first verse that I want to highlight is Matthew 6, verse 33, which I'm pretty sure we all know. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the first thing I just want to ask you that I had to ask myself is what does this mean to you, to seek first the kingdom? And do we really understand what we are seeking? And do we really understand the king of the kingdom? So looking at this verse... um, I was really on a pursuit to try and, what does it mean? How can everything fall into place? How do I seek his kingdom? How do we do that? Do we go to church every Sunday? Yeah, what does it mean? And this is where it opened up a whole can of works. And this is how King Jesus was formulated in my mind. So next, I just want to give the definition of a king. So I want you to imagine a chessboard, because I'm a very visual person, so I just thought of a chessboard and a king on the chessboard and the importance of a king, and without it we can't play the game. But also the most important thing is that we know how this chess game ends. We know that the king wins, we know that I even took it as far as the revelation that I got was the kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's amazing. (laughs) But... We know how this game ends, and we know that it ends with King Jesus ruling. So the definition of a king is that it's a male ruler of an independent state, especially one who inherits the position by right of birth. So this is very important, especially when we start talking about Jesus and what he inherited from the right of birth. Okay. So then moving on to the definition of of servanthood. Servanthood can be defined as the act of willingly serving and placing the needs and interests of others above one's own. So this is very important. These are the two things that I'm going to be highlighting today is kingship and servanthood and how they go hand in hand. So now looking and understanding the kingdom of the kingdom, uh, which I mentioned earlier, servanthood is not a fruit of the spirit. It's also not in the Ten Commandments which is understandable because it means that you're willingly doing something. And if it's one of the Ten Commandments or fruit of the Spirit, then it's not willingly anymore. So then it's not serving. So this was just something I found very interesting because this is essentially what we learn from Jesus' servanthood. So moving on to the next um, piece. Servanthood, if it's not a fruit of the Spirit or a Ten Commandment, it is a hard posture. It is the posture of kneeling. It is the posture of washing feet. And we learn that from Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. So before I carry on, I felt that it was very important because it can be so easy to see all the places where you fall short of not serving or there's just a level that you can't attain. So I just want to talk about the difference between serving and a slave. So the difference between a servant and a slave. So a servant is someone who is willingly or voluntarily serving others. 
and a slave is someone who is taken against their own will and forced to serve. So this is where Galatians 4 verse 7 has a whole new meaning, where we read that we are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. So I just want to remind you before I carry on, don't put that expectation on yourself to try and strive or achieve anything. We are not a slave, we are, yeah, we are a servant. So don't mistake the two while I'm speaking. Okay. Oh, I'm way behind on this. Okay, so we should be at slide eight. Then I want to talk about um, Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So this is our Jesus. He took himself, um, took, took the form of a servant. So this is our Jesus, who we were singing to this morning. So th- that was just the introduction. Now we're going to be moving on to the sermon. <laughs> um, I still have to give them time. So there's a lot that I would have wanted to cover. Um, yes, I, I really, like, I dived so deep. Like, I lost myself for four hours <laughs> in the mornings preparing for this and just learning about God. But, um, yeah, so I would have loved to have covered kingship and servanthood in each book of the Bible because it's so, it's evident in each book, especially the New Testament. But I found it particularly interesting for the Old Testament and to see the fingerprints of Jesus, which we often only see in the New Testament because, you know, Jesus was here on earth. But it's an interesting concept that he was there before he came, because he was. So just a reminder of that. So we're going to be looking at the fingerprints of Jesus in the Old Testament along with the servanthood theme of how it was there since the beginning. So we're going to be looking at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And then um, we're going to be pausing at Samuel, um, where we're going to be looking at the difference between King Saul and David. Okay. Yes. Um, Yeah. So first of all, let's look at Moses. We're all aware of who Moses is and what he did. Um, So Moses primarily wrote the first five books in the Bible. Um, And I want to ask you, when you think of Moses, what do you think of? How would you, what characteristic would you say he entails? You know what he did, but how would you explain him if you were to tell others or explain who Moses is? So interestingly enough, even though he wrote or primarily wrote the first five books in the Bible, he was never referred to as a king. I just want to make that clear. But he was referred to something so much more significant, a servant of God. He willingly served and placed the needs of others above his own, which we will see in Scripture soon. Okay, so jumping into Genesis. Here we go. Kicking off the first five or first eight books in the Bible. So here, um, in Genesis verse 1 to 2, we read that the earth was, for, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Holy Spirit is introduced to us in Genesis 1 already. Um, and if you want to go even further into details, I think it's the sixth day that the animals were made. But even if you look at that, animals being made, the lion, the lamb, 
and we know that the lion is the king of the jungle. It's just, it just blows my mind. I wish I could like show you everything that I learned, but I don't have enough time. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, Genesis 1 verse 2, yeah, we see Holy Spirit is introduced. Moving on to the second and the third book in the Bible, um, where we see the theme of King Jesus. The lamb is introduced to us in Exodus, and the sacrificial system is outlined to us in Leviticus. So the sacrificial system, don't be put off by that word, <laughs> is essentially a gift given to Israel to make their relationship right with God. The relationship which later would be formed through King Jesus, who fulfilled perfectly what the sacrificial lamb of the Passover in Exodus pointed to. So here already in the second and the third book in the Bible, we're pointed to Jesus. Both of these books are very much a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus' coming to fulfill this. And this is also God's pattern for redemption already laid out very clearly. So we're reading this, we can already see Jesus. Um, you know, even if we didn't know he was coming, we would know it. <laughs> okay, moving on to the fourth book in the Bible, Numbers. My, yeah, many jokes to make about that. Okay, so Numbers is about Israel's journey towards the promised land, which is essentially our story too, um, of us learning to trust God more than man and idols. So just keep that in mind. Now we're going to just read this verse. Um, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Okay, so, very interesting. Yeah, we learn two things. First of all, we see Jesus introduced. We see Jesus on the clouds, which is nothing new to us. I have about eight scriptures, but I only highlighted three on the next slide, um, where it's nothing new to us. Jesus comes on the clouds. We know that. We've seen it in many scriptures. And these are just three. But here we also see something very significant. Jesus speaking, and he refers to Moses as a servant three times as he speaks which I found very significant. This is how Jesus regarded Moses. Okay. Now if we move on to the fifth book, uh, the yeah, fifth book, Deuter Deuteronomy. The whole time I was reading, I was Deuteronomy a little bit, but I hope I don't get it wrong. Forgive me if I do. So one of the most significant themes that we read in this book is the idea of covenant, which is introduced to us. So it's very interesting, you can see already, the first five books in the Bible, kingship is introduced to us. Covenant, Jesus is coming, everything is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Moses prophesies that God will raise up a prophet like him from among the Israelites. And this prophet we know is none other than Jesus Christ, who came to earth to save us from our sins. So, yeah, the, I only highlighted the first beginning piece there. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, just so that you can see it's really coming from Scripture and not from me. Um, and then I just want to speak, because one of the coolest things about Scripture is how it fulfills itself, or how it explains itself. So, yeah, in the New Testament, in Acts, in the next slide, Acts 3, verse 22 to 23, we see that Peter says, or he... Um, 
what's the right word? He makes reference to the scripture in Deuteronomy, where, he's, where he, yeah, he actually says that Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Okay. So now we look at, oh yeah, so that also concludes the story of how the Lord redeemed the people out of slavery. Because, yeah, it's, it's so cool. But anyways, the sixth book in the Bible, Joshua. So this is where God commissions Joshua. This was very interesting to me because the book of Joshua literally begins in Joshua 1 after the five first books that were primarily written by Moses with after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, again a reference, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead, again referred to as servant by God. But then interestingly enough, Joshua also ends, the last book in Joshua ends with, after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. So I want you to start seeing the theme, not only of Jesus in the, New, in the Old Testament, but also how servanthood came from Moses to Joshua and how it's carried on and eventually going to get to how it comes to the ultimate form of Jesus. But yeah, this was just really interesting for me to see that it really is there, the pattern. Then when we go to the seventh book, Judges, we also see servanthood highlighted. So Judges talks on three characters mainly, Samson, Deborah, and Gideon, um, I was saying Gideon, but <laughs> don't think it was with that Afrikaans accent. Um, so we'll just stick with Gideon. Um, so most of us know the story of these three people, but if you don't, I just want to highlight Gideon. God used him to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. So Gideon was also reluctant to receive his calling. The Lord called him and he said, Lord, I can't, I'm just... It's okay. <laughs> Darkness will not prevail. Is this also off now? Yeah, yeah. The Lord's been preparing me all my life for this moment. <laughs> okay. So in the seventh book of Judges, um, we see here that it's a testament to God's faithfulness in raising up saviors, which ultimately also points us to King Jesus. The recurring theme of Israel's need for a righteous king comes across in this book. They're looking for a king, they're craving a king, and ultimately that represents our hearts longing for King Jesus. They're looking for someone to reign over them. Then we go to the eighth book, which is Ruth. Oh, that's such a lovely picture of Ruth bending down in the field, the picking up the wheat, because that also shows us the posture of servanthood. So we all recognize Ruth as serving. We know that that's a prominent figure in the book of Ruth. Um, but it is also very clear here to see God's pattern of redemption laid out. So we know that famous quote that's quoted at weddings. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ultimately, so we know the story of Ruth. If you don't, I'll just give a quick backtrack. So Ruth was married to Naomi's son. He passed away and she said that she's going to stick with her mother-in-law. So yeah, we see highlighted the ultimate theme of serving. That is willingly giving up everything and placing the needs of others before your own. She sticks with her mother-in-law. 
I mean, if most of us were asked to do that today, I'm not sure if we would. <laughs> okay, so, um, and if you also don't know, so Boaz then decides to marry Ruth and redeems her. So Ruth had no inheritance. Naomi had no inheritance. She lost her two sons. She lost her husband. There was nothing left that they could have. But then Boaz decides that he is now going to redeem Ruth and her inheritance. So yeah, I guess the really interesting piece because not only does Boaz point us to Christ and how he redeems us, and Ruth points us to servanthood, um, but did you know that Jesus is actually a descendant from Boaz and Ruth, who was pointed to ultimately redeem and ultimately the servant? So... Then I also just wanted to read this piece of scripture. Give me things here. Okay. Um, so Ruth 5, verse 10 to 13. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done, for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. So what stood out for Boaz fully from Ruth? What made him decide to go for Ruth was her servanthood. That was something that stood out for him. Yeah, so in the very last book of um, Ruth, it says that Ruth and Boaz's son was Obed, who fathered Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. So here we already see the plan, the lineage that we are working with is redemption and servanthood. Then we get to 1 Samuel. Shame to tell you, I have no more work now. <laughs> so Samuel is where I wanted to pause. Um, just because since last year, November, I did a big study on Samuel through to 2 Kings. And there, guys a whole new level of King Jesus and fully understanding this King that we serve. It is, yeah, the Old Testament is so much fun. Um, but anyways, in 1 Samuel verse 11, we see Hannah introduced. So Hannah was the, the mother of Samuel. And here we read, so now um, after Ruth, the book is Samuel. So now we're at um, the ninth book. So we've just covered the first eight books of the Bible and we've seen the theme of, or the fingerprints of Jesus and the fingerprints of servanthood. And this is all coming down to this. So 1 Samuel, um, verse 11 says, And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord. Very interesting. She also refers to herself as a servant three times. So, and then we obviously know the famous quote from Samuel himself, who, when he answered the Lord's call after the third time, says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Yeah, you know, that was my prayer most of the time preparing for this. I just said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. <laughs> yeah, so this was very interesting um, because God also communicates very clearly to Samuel in this, which he said that he would um, to his servants and to his prophets. Yo, okay, so this is where things start getting very interesting. Um, now we're going to take a little bit of a deeper look in how God was rejected as king 
and where kingship actually started. So kingship was born in Samuel, the book of Samuel. That's where it came from. The Israelites said that they have no king over them because essentially throughout all the years, Jesus was king of Israel. God was king of Israel. There was no king. Then the people cried out and they asked for a king and they said to Samuel, pray to the Lord because Samuel was their way of communicating to God. And they said, give us a king. We need someone. And this is where it comes from. This is where kingship was born ultimately. But we actually see it before time, born with Jesus in Genesis already. Um, okay, so here's a verse. Yeah. Yeah. 1 Samuel 8 verse 67. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So this displeases Samuel, but he still listens to the Lord. I mean, that's crazy. I would have just said to the people, No, Jesus is king. But Samuel listened to the Lord, which yeah, that was just absolutely incredible. And Saul is made Israel's first king. This is now a very interesting turn of events because for the first time ever, a flawed man is now king over Israel instead of the perfect Jesus. So Saul was Israel's first king, um, but we all know his story. And if you don't, let me just remind you a little bit. But he followed his own agenda instead of listening to the will of God, and he struggled waiting on God. Um, so he only half-heartedly followed God's instructions and was building memorials for himself. This is where we can see immediately the effect of a flawed man ruling over a country instead of God. Then we look at David as king. And we all know that story. I'm not going to go over it. But how, you know, Jesus, uh, David wrote Psalms and was fleeing from Saul and how he eventually became king. Um, But I've often wondered what is the quality, why God says that David is a man after my own heart. Because I want to be referred to as that, as a woman after God's own heart. But yeah, I just thought about that. Um, that's referred to as in 1 Samuel 13. It's referenced there. So the original Hebrew word, this is where I missed the slides because I can't pronounce these words. <laughs> I'm not going to try and pronounce it. But the original Hebrew word that's displayed there in 1 Samuel. Um, yeah, I'm really not going to try that. Um <laughs> suggests that God is looking for a man whose heart is like his heart. So it's not only a man after his own heart, but God was looking for a man um, whose heart is like his heart. So David was a man who possessed an attitude which reflected in many ways God's heart. And most importantly, he led Israel not after his own will, but the will of God. His rule reflected the reality and the prayer the Lord gave to us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When David became king, the kingdom of God returned to Israel and God once again ruled through David. Yeah, it would be quite easy to explain the next 27 books in the Old Testament, um, like Esther, Job, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and how all these people displayed servanthood and kingship and how they placed God's will above their own. Um, and then skipped in the New Testament, it's very easy to talk about Jesus and kingship there. Um, but what I want to get to and start ending off with now is that Jesus was rejected as king. Even though we read it there, we see it in all of time, in all of history, the Lamb, the Passover, everything from the beginning, 
yet Jesus was rejected as king. But when Jesus came, he also rejected kingship. When Jesus gained popularity, so when he uh, multiplied the fish and the bread, people had so much hope. Maybe he was on a mountain with a lot of people and people wanted to make him king. They thought that he was the Messiah. He's come to exempt the Romans. He's come to overtake everything. And Jesus said no. He walked away from kingship. Um, and there's a verse that I want to say that backs this. Oh, John 18. <laughs> he said later, his kingdom was not of this world. His goal was not yet to establish a political kingdom, but a spiritual one. He wanted people to surrender to God and accept him as their Lord while at the same time living in a king, um, king empire. So here we ultimately see Jesus placing the needs of others above his own, which ultimately is servanthood. So this is the king that we serve, the king that we are seeking, and the kingdom that we are seeking to build. And just like Gideon and Ruth and everyone that seek the kingdom first by putting everyone else's needs above their own, everything else fell into place. So I had many references to how Jesus is king and scripture that talks about it from beginning to end. But I wanted to highlight one, which is Revelation 19, verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I had so many different ways I wanted to do this. Am I going to start from the end, from a revelation of who Jesus is? Or am I going to start from the beginning? <laughs> because everything, every single book shows that Jesus is king. And then um, I want to just point out that Jesus was always king. He didn't only become king when he came to earth. He was always king before he came down, before he multiplied the bread, before he changed water into wine. He was always king. But he even rejected kingship. That to me was just a like mind-boggling moment. Because I wonder sometimes in my own life, how many times do I still reject Jesus as king? And that's a question that I want to ask you. Now I want to finish off with this piece from a book. Um, the book is called Follow Me by David Platt. When followers of Christ share stories of how they became Christians, they often say something along the lines of, I decided to make Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. Initially and ultimately, of course, it's wonderful to hear brothers and sisters recount the moment when their hearts were opened to the incomprehensibly passionate love of God. A love that now captivates them in an intimately personal relationship with Jesus. At the same time, when I reflect on that particular statement, I decided to make Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. I can't help but wonder how much this idea represents some subtly yet significantly dangerous trends in contemporary Christianity. On one level, the statement minimizes the inherent authority of Jesus. But surely none of us can decide to make him Lord. He is Lord, regardless of what you or I decide. The Bible is clear that on that day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is not whether we will make Jesus Lord. The question is whether you or I will submit to his Lordship. And then um, the final thing that I want to leave with you that we're all hoping for, or the the cry of our hearts to hear one day when we see Jesus face to face 
which I find so interestingly because, yeah, it's just a massive theme of how Jesus came to be a servant as well. Um, but in Matthew 25, verse 23, it says, And um, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. So by us seeking his kingdom, we learn to serve. And by us serving, we learn to become like Christ. And one day when we see Christ face to face, that is what we ultimately want to hear is, Well done, good and faithful servant. So I want to ask you, is that what you would hear at the end? Is that what you are representing in your life at the moment is serving? That's me. <laughs> ben? <laughs> Thanks, Danny. Can everyone hear me? Yes. How many fingers? No, that doesn't work. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thanks, Annie. Um, a little while ago, I kind of really got into yeah, rock climbing. It was quite an awesome sport. I don't know if you know Stefan in the church. He brought me along to his climbing gym and puts a, a little harness on me. He's like, climb. He strapped me to a little mechanism. He's like, go for it. Like, okay, sure. Um, you go up the first meter and you're like, ah, oh, this is not too bad. Just, I'm a bit tired, but it's all right. And you eventually get to the fourth meter and you're like, shucks, I'm quite high up. And you kind of just go and you reach the top and eventually you realize you can't go anywhere else. Now what? And you've just been attached to this little, I suppose, mechanism that's supposed to lower you. Stefan, standing on the ground, let go, and you're like, what have I just done? <laughs> um, and you're like, do I suddenly trust this little mechanism I've never tested before to lower me safely to the ground? And you're like, do I know Stefan really well? <laughs> Does he have ulterior motives? <laughs> Eventually, you just get so tired, you just have to let go and trust that that mechanism will catch you. And weeks upon weeks of fear, climbing up a wall, eventually getting comfortable with it, uh, you end up just climbing like 10 meters worth of walls, 20, 30, and you just start going like, hey, this is a bit too easy, let's go outdoors. And you start picking it up, and you just become so comfortable with relying on something that, and you just eventually forget about it, and it's that reliance. Um, I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity and privilege of teaching someone to drive. You, <laughs> it's a very uh, humbling moment and you come out with your nerves shot and the whole time your hand is really, really close to the handbrake. <laughs> just ready to slip and just pull up when you need to. And there's a sense that we have of Constantly wanting to be in control. We always want to be able to control where we are going and what will catch us if we fall. We want to have, we want to have something in our hands that we can say, I'm safe. And unfortunately, this means we tend to take on a lot more and keep it in our hands without releasing it. Just linking onto what Danny just said, where the Israelites, they had God, 
a almighty God is omnipotent and omnipresent and just beyond time and they rejected him. They rejected him because they wanted something physical. They wanted something in their lives that they could say, oh, that person there, right there, said I need to do something. I agree with that. But as soon as something is far beyond the, like, the visual, I suppose, spectrum of where they are and the auditory spectrum, they're just like, is it really real? Can we trust this? I don't know where this thing is going. And they rejected God, which, in my opinion, is such a shame. I mean, they had a... <laughs> you know, sometimes we wish we could have a pillar of fire guiding us at night <laughs> or a cloud in the day. There are many clouds. Maybe they are guiding us. We're just not looking. <laughs> yeah. But their faith dwindled. They, I think they just got so tired of trusting something that they couldn't see. And in that rejection, yeah, we see how, how the kings failed. They failed so miserably. Like not even the first king could succeed well. And, sick, and even David messed up. And it just spirals downwards until eventually Jesus had to come and redeem that. Now, going back to what we have in our lives, where we just, are we surrendering our lives? Is, is our lives really fully unto Him? I don't know if you remember the prayer you prayed when you gave your life. It's a, it, when, you, when you accept that Jesus is the Lord of your life, it's not just Lord like. Have you ever looked at the word Lord? Lord carries authority, it carries dominion. He's Lord of our lives, not just uh, a suggestion. Even in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, I just want to go into our, just the, the core message, or the core verse of this message, which is Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed by, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And just trying to pick, picking at words, like Paul says, I appeal to you. It's an urge. There's an urgency. I don't think he would just like, it wasn't quite a suggestion. It was more like, hey, are you really following this? Are you really walking in this? Are you living? Are you presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice? And in the Amplified, it really it, it expands that presenting your bodies as dedicating all of yourselves. It's set apart, and ultimately, yeah, it's a sacrifice as well. And as a result of that, it becomes holy and acceptable to God. It's a it, it's our spiritual worship, and it's also it's rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. It's not just something that you just do without really thinking about it. You do it willingly and you do it cognizantly. You do it out of your action. And quite often we have to force ourselves to do it. Because um, it kind of sucks. <laughs> um, yeah. You can sort of summarize surrender into this one sentence. It's an act of faith. Acknowledging that God are God's plans and acknowledging that it's a superior, relinquishing and sacrificing of your own desires and will 
hearing from God and then submitting to them. So I just want to start in with the acknowledging part. Just there's a there's two two parts to this. We need to acknowledge that one, we are not our own. We've been bought at a price. And one Corinthians it says, Or do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. For one of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, then we live unto the Lord, and if we die, we die unto the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Yeah. So acknowledging we are not our own, we've given Jesus' lordship over our lives. And that's not something that's to take in very lightly. And, and it might just be something we need to go over and actually realize the weight of. And the second thing, we need to acknowledge that he is God, we aren't. And his plans are so much better than ours. I mean, wouldn't you kind of want someone oh, out of time and seeing where things are going and with what will happen to kind of to direct you? Like, I'm sure we've all had those moments in the exams where we're like, ah, God, what is that? Was it A, B, or C? <laughs> and this is by no, by no means biblical, but like, if you're just like, hey, God, which horse is going to win? And like... If someone knows the future, they have so much power, and we don't. We don't know the future. We can't even. Be, we can barely predict the weather. It's only been getting better recently, and it's. I believe it's around eighty percent accuracy. But as soon as you go further than we get, it's a, a like a drastic drop off. Now, if we can't tell the weather from a week, how do you want to know where you should be going in the next five years, in the next ten? You need to trust in God, and the second sort of points in this surrender topic is faith. We need to trust that God will come through and what he promises and trust that he will, yeah, that what he says is true. Um, yeah, uh, we, and our faith needs to be rooted in something. We, understanding God's character and his promises. And we need to get to know him. You can't really trust something that you don't know. That little mechanism that when you're climbing, the first time you do it, you're like, what's this manufacturer? Can I quickly Google them? Do they have good reviews? <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't really do that. But over time, as you use that mechanism over and over, you just realize, hey, it pulls a bit funky in the beginning, but it drops you really well. And it's um, not drops, like it, it lowers you really well. <laughs> <laughs> and trust is built. And faith is built. It's, it's not really human nature to completely trust something out of the blue. And it actually goes against it. Um, and yeah, something James C. Dobson wrote is, Faith in God is like believing a man can walk over the, the Niagara Falls on a, on a tightrope while pushing a wheelbarrow. But trust in God is like getting in that wheelbarrow. To believe God can do something miraculous is one thing. To risk his willingness to do it is in your life is another. We need to be able to trust that. And there's, there's such a richness in trusting God. There's such a richness in just pursuing Him and having releasing of that pressure of getting things right. Um, and then a third part is you actually have to hear from Him. 
You can't just be like, God, I trust you, and then run, and then be like, I didn't tell you to do that. Um, in John 10, 27 to 8, 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch, snatch them away from me out of my hand. You need to be sensitive to the Spirit, when you, and it takes time to develop that. But sometimes you really doubt if you hear the voice, but as you test it, it you, you see the fruit of that. And also just reading scripture is such a good way to hear and get used to hearing his voice. Um, like if someone had to shout at you, if you're, maybe your parents, your sibling, your spouse, had to shout at you across the mall, you'll probably hear them. Just like how you've heard that voice over and over at home in the car, and you've just heard it over and over hearing God's voice over and over, when you hear that over the noise of our lives, we instantly recognize it. We need to get comfortable with hearing His voice. And that's, that's just from daily putting, light, uh, putting hours into just spending time with Him. So once we've you know, positioned our hearts and we acknowledge who God is and we have that faith and we're hearing from Him, we need to surrender. And that's the, that's the difficult part. It's, the first part is giving up mental ownership of what we have. We need to just, it's no longer ours. It's been given to us. Whatever we have, our time, our resources, and our abilities. I mean, just look at Abraham. God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah not the Lord of the Rings uh, reference, but, and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains, on one of the mountains which I give you. And he obeyed him and, and believed him. Uh, he believed God's promise that he will make you exceedingly, exceedingly fruitful and I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I, I can't imagine how easy that must have been if you only have one proof or one item of the promise that God has given you, and he says, sacrifice it. What sort of faith must that have been? And I, I genuinely believe that Isaac, uh, Abraham still sacrificed Isaac on that mountain. He still sacrificed him, even though he was still there in his presence, it was no longer his. Isaac was no longer his, even though he, he was there. I, I really think it must have been awkward coming down that mountain. <laughs> Isaac shooting Abraham a few gl- glances like, I thought we were going to sacrifice a ram. <laughs> we need to deal with this mentality that everything we have is ours. Because we came into this world as nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. Everything we have in between is just there to steward. And sometimes, you know... What we have, God's going to call us to give it away. He's going to call us to use it, to expend it. And sometimes He's just going to leave it in our possession and we are called to steward it. Steward our time, steward our resources and our abilities. So it's like kind of like if your dad gives you the keys to his car and says, hey, can you go get some groceries? You're not going to pull off into the nearest uh, 4x4 track and just give it a try. He's probably going to park it really nicely, 
make sure there's at least two meters next to it so the guy doesn't ding it. And then you're going to make sure that it's all good when you get back and you're going to drive it and you park it really safely in the garage and be like, thanks dad for that awesome opportunity. And we need to have that same heart for what we have in our lives. And it's, it's precious and it's been given to us and it's in our hands. And there will be sacrifices. Um, yeah, and we try and hold onto things that it makes us feel comfortable. It makes me feel comfortable to know that I have that bank balance. It makes me feel comfortable to know I have that job. It makes me feel comfortable to know that, hey, that, that house is really nice and that man, that TV on the weekends is really helpful. Just, you can just see Fuff and do stupidity in such high detail. Um, and sometimes we will be called to sacrifice that. And it will be an act of worship unto God, sacrificing it. And if we can get our hearts right in knowing that what we have isn't ours, suddenly in those moments will be like a, maybe a bit of an ah moment, but so it will most likely just be overflowed with that love that you know God is just smiling on you when you just give it away or leave it behind for something else, something better. And you need to just die to self and it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful sometimes to rip strongholds out of us and replace it with Jesus. Because ultimately, He's what we, what we want. It's not everything in the world is just a material thing. It's going to crumble and fade away in a few years, especially if it comes from China. <laughs> and then the final point is we need to follow as he leads so there's a sacrifice there's a, a sacrifice in our mind and our hearts of what we have and there's the following we can maybe sacrifice but we can still hold on to it and be disobedient and it's a continual process we are called to sacrifice small things and as we yield to him he starts to ask for more and ask for more but he doesn't leave us empty he replaces it with himself places it with his, his presence and his spirit in his heart. And we become renewed. And our mind gets renewed. And we start to veer away from the world. And our bodies become a sacrifice unto him. The key is just to submit to that small promptings daily. Those small things and giving up slowly and slowly. Those small things. Maybe it's a coffee here. Maybe it's a bagel tomorrow. And... Just slowly giving up small things that eventually will lead to you being willing to move from one job to another, even though it's uncomfortable. Move to another country if you're called to it. It's, it's been a major shift in my heart, just specifically through this internship. I'm not saying anyone needs to quit their job and come join the church, although it'll be really awesome. There's so many tables open. Um, but just seeing that shift in my heart coming from a really well, good paying job for a mid 20 year old that's earned way too much and going to such a, a bare minimum and just feeling so much more life and so much more fullness of life where suddenly all you have is what you need and everything you want you trust in God for. And what he gives you is no longer yours. And what you have you can give so freely because it's been a gift to you. It's not something you earned. It's something God has given. 
and suddenly it's, it's just so much easier to bless someone else with it. So, I don't know if we can get the communion element so long. Ready. So now my question is, I genuinely believe God might have prompted you with something on the, that's been on your heart for a while. Maybe there's a little itch to be like, he's just been knocking slowly and like a gentleman just waiting, just asking for something. It can be really anything. I just want to ask, is, that, is there something in your heart that's tugging? Is there something right now? I don't know if the band can get ready so long with acoustic worship. But, um, I really, I really want to give us some time just to sit, sit with God and just be like, hey, where have I, where have I left off? You know, where in this process are you, do you feel stuck? Do you struggle acknowledging who you are? Do you struggle acknowledging that you are a son of God, that he wants good things for you? Do you struggle acknowledging that his plans are better for you? Maybe you maybe you tried it once, maybe you tried following him once and it's just, nah, it didn't work out. Maybe your faith is just thin. Maybe you know that God is amazing. You know the promises he has for you. You just struggle to trust. Maybe you're just not really hearing. Maybe you're just struggling to hear from God right now. Um, yeah. And maybe you're just struggling to surrender as well. Struggling to give up what he's asking you to give up. Because everything in our lives needs to be loved unto him. And are you following him? So as we go into worship, um, and just a time of communion, I just really want you to think on that and think what is God calling you to? What is he tugging on your heart right now? What has he been tugging on your heart? And to go through this process of surrender I know that over time it gets easier. Over time, as you start climbing those walls of your life, you start to trust those mechanisms more and more. You learn to trust Him more and more. Trust that He'll catch you. I'm just waiting for the communion.